All right, guys, man, you guys really showed up this morning. Thanks for coming out. I think it's awesome. We're all here. Enjoy that burrito? Yeah. They disappeared. I think they were good. They, they're going. I said, I think this, these men can wipe them burritos out. That was a good idea, too, man. It was good. It was simple and sufficient. I'm just blessed that you guys would have the heart to come here. And I know you didn't just come because you got a free burrito. You know, he could got breakfast. No, you didn't. It's just good, man. It's just good to be together and that there's guys hungry and going after God. And you know what you're coming to. You know I'm going to be sharing and stuff. And it just humbles me on a Saturday morning that this many guys would show up here in this town. Uh, got me a little emotional. Just thanks, man, for having a heart for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Listen, we were created for a reason and a purpose. And you, you, you don't want to have to take your whole life to figure this out. But like people say life's a grind and life's a challenge and life's this and that. It's because we're living life outside of why we're here. It's the only reason life feels that way. You're you're self-conscious when you're saying life's a grind. You're not kingdom conscious. You're not thinking about the kingdom. You're thinking about the way things are going for you. It's a trap. I'm telling you, and it's become so normal to think that way. We thought that way our whole lives, so we just think that's the way it is. And We need challenge by higher truth because when you walk around thinking life's a grind, you're not being fruitful. You're trying to get by. And you're hoping things go better today. And you're borderline frustrated when they aren't. And when you're frustrated, you ain't producing no life. Come on, I'm just saying, listen, I've looked at this thing hard my whole Christian life and realized this thing. And I preach it with boldness and passion. I I feel like I've been on to something for a long time here, man. I think we've been seduced by a, a way we think we all are. Than the way we think we all have to be. But yet this amazing person named Jesus shows up on the scene and He's truth and He springs out of dry ground, man. And He's not our truth, He's the truth. That ought to get your attention. <laughs> yeah? It just excites me, man. And, and none of what I see in our lives before Him do I see in Him. Are you with me? Yeah. None of what I see in our lives growing up do I see in Him when He comes. So He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's showing me what life looks like in the Father and what I was created for. Or He'd have never said, follow me. See, He didn't just say, sing to me at worship time. And He didn't just say, pray to me when you're overwhelmed. He said, follow me. I'm not being mean. Look, attend church. Be part of something that's happening and legit and going after the kingdom. Be a part of something. Be, belong, Right? But, but he didn't even say, go to church. I'm not saying don't go to church. What I'm saying is you can let going to church take the place of why he came. You can let serving in a ministry take the place of why he came. You can let those things take the place of knowing him and being one with him and manifesting him. And all of a sudden, we have a conviction and we believe He's Lord and we've been reduced to just trying to be better men and try not to do the things we know are wrong and try to do more things we know are right. And all of a sudden, it's all works. And deep in our heart, we never feel like we're really accomplishing that much in that arena anyway. And it's all self-made and it has nothing to do with why He came. Man, He came to put His life back inside of us. His ways, His wisdom, His motives, His heart. He would have never said, follow me if I couldn't by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the thing, man. The Christian life is impossible without Him. 
But with Him, there's nothing we can't walk in and live in when we set our heart to humility, repentance, and faith. Be very careful in this hour that we haven't studied ourselves so well that we let our own experience rise above His willingness of grace. We've got to be careful we haven't viewed ourselves so well over the years and we're so used to how we all are that we raise our human experience above His willingness of grace that changes us. Where we just say, well, God, people will always be. Well, as long as we're on the earth, we'll always. We know everybody's going to have their moments. Well, brother, we're all going to go up and down. Well, brother, we're going to. You try to sell that to Jesus. You try to sell that to Jesus. You might sell it to one another, and then our own experiences say, yeah, amen. But you try to sell that to Jesus who called us up here, called us out of darkness into the light, sanctified us, set us apart. And said, follow me. And then gave us the same spirit to raise him from the dead to empower us and quicken us to be sure that we could. If we're willing. Now that's the key. We've got to be willing, guys. You've got to be willing to walk in love. And love is not a sissy thing, man. Us guys have been taught that, that the, the most beautiful things about the kingdom, we've been taught our whole lives, subtly taught that it's wimpy, wussy, and sissy and stuff. Yeah? You, you, you watch cartoon, you're a little kid, man. They got this bad looking d- devil image on the shoulder of the cartoon character, and he's like, nah, nah, nah. and then they got this angel, and it's acting all wimpy. Did you ever see that on a cartoon? It is not like that in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw cartoons when I was a kid, and the little angel's like, don't listen, don't you listen to him? And he's like, shut up. And the angel's like, like flinching. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> This stuff is planned. It's a strategy. It's from the time you're little up to set a precedent and a tone to rob you and me from being what he created us for and paid for us to be. To where all of a sudden there's an image set and we're trying to live into that instead of his image. I'm telling you, it's not wimpy to walk in love. You tell me Jesus was a wimp hanging on the cross. You tell me he was a softie, a doormat, a pushover, a pacifist. Hardly. The living epistle expression of love in the flesh. And he's saying, follow me. Don't tell me I can't. You're too late to talk me out of it. (laughs) Way too late. Way too late. It's possible to yield to him and become more like him. I'm going to talk about that today, guys, how easy it is to walk in this thing. I'm not just going to tell you what you should be walking in. I'm going to explain how easy it is. The answers are so easy that sometimes we miss them because we're looking for something so deep. You can't change yourself. Who learned that? You get real good intentions and you mean well and you never feel like you're measuring up to what you're intending when you're just living in your own strength and your own power. It's just the truth, man. It says the flesh and the spirit war against each other and this is so you don't do what you ought. Why? There's a dependency and a need of grace in your life and Holy Spirit because God set it up that way from the beginning. God in man. God in man. Christ in you. Yeah? From the beginning. I, I, I'll talk about it all the time. I don't, I don't think it's a word of knowledge this morning. I don't think I'm rescuing anybody necessarily when I say this in the room. I mean, you never know, but I'm not hearing it from the Lord to say it for that reason. But, you know, suicide is, is, a, is a prominent thing on the earth and it happens at all age brackets, actually. It's not just a young thing. It's People get overwhelmed. People get through a divorce at 40 years old. Uh, 
I had a friend a couple years ago, it just shocked me to no end. I had a hard time handling it. I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed because the reality of things hit you just where people can slip. A friend of mine that I fellowship with that was a Christian man that got overwhelmed and pulled away and I had a hard time getting a hold of him. You know what happens when people are going through a hard time and they seclude themselves and they, get, they, they isolate. Dangerous, terrible place. And I knew it was warning signals and it was like, this ain't good and wouldn't return phone calls and I'm like, should I just drive up and see him? And, and I threw that around a couple of times and then I left town for a trip and while I was on the trip, they found him dead. He committed suicide. It just, it just, it, it, it hit me hard. I, my pastor said, I've never seen you so shook about something. I said, it was the reality of where people can slip. And he was somebody I was sure I knew. And yet he had that capacity. Here's what I'm getting at about the suicide thing. It's, it's probably the biggest, in my opinion, this is just my belief, it's probably the biggest expression of deception that a man can fall into outside of just not living his life in truth. But when you actually take your own life, here's why it's such a deception. You're taking what's not even yours. Your life is a gift from God for Him to live in you. For you to co-labor with Him to manifest Him. Like, it's never your... People say, well, it's my life. I'll do with it what I want. Never was your life, friend, from the beginning. It was always His life in you. So when you commit suicide, you're taking away His life in you. And you're stopping potential and purpose and destiny and legacy. You're eliminating glorifying God with the gift called life. And you took it in your own hands through deception and took what's not yours. Are you following me? And we don't even get this stuff sometimes even in the church. We're like, well, it's, it's, it's your life. Never was. The whole abortion thing was my life. It's my body. It's not your body. It's to be sanctified for the glory of God, man. Right? Present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God. It's not your choice. See, that self-centered thing is a wretched, wretched, miserable lie. It's caused so much damage on the earth. I want you to understand this as I'm going in this direction. We'll see where we end up. I don't have a plan. I just got up here. I looked at your faces. I got a little emotional and now I'm intense. Forgive me. I just I did, man. I was happy you're here. Now I'm like, I feel like a raging madman here. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I'm trying to hold on to this thing and calm down. But this stuff is serious, man. I've seen too many good people, good guys like you that are so willing to come to breakfast. You're not looking for a way to mess up. You're not hypocrites. You're God's kids, man. Right? And then live in deceptions or lies without realizing it or half-truths. One of the worst things on the planet. A half-truth. Because it's just true enough to not be revealed, but it's not producing life because it's half-true. It's not good. So if the way you're thinking, if the way you're thinking, your, your mind's never stopped, my mind never stops. You're always thinking something. You might as well learn to harness that thing in communion with God and fellowship with God and thinking on the kingdom and and dwell your mind and keep your mind on these things, whatever's lovely and excellent, pure. Yeah? yeah? Sounds like I read that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I read that once. <laughs> so let's just, let's just get our mind in this, in, in this stuff. But if, if, if where your mind is, 
isn't producing life and isn't maturing who you are in Christ and encouraging you to move forward in that truth, then you really need to challenge where you're thinking and what you're thinking and, and realize that it, it can't be the Lord. Like, I, I see too many good-hearted people that aren't encouraged at all. They're caught up with the facts of life, the circumstances of their present day, what's working, not working, what they wish would change. And all of a sudden, if, you, if you're not sharp and you don't realize it, years could go by, and it's just you trying to get through with a good heart and faithful at church. It's very, very... Lacking of power and potency. You don't want to reproduce that. And that's how tricky this thing is. It's subtle. It's a subtleness. It's a strategy to keep us distracted and, and live outside of why we're here. If you weren't here last night, there's a bunch of you I, I can tell in my heart. I feel like, not just by faces, I feel like there's a whole lot of you that weren't able to be here last night. So just to, to know where I'm going with that, like, I'm going to nutshell this and try to keep it as short and simple because I feel like I need to get somewhere. The whole reason God made man is to reveal his image through flesh, through men. The reason you have a body is to act out what's on the inside. And what was intended from the beginning was that on the inside would be the Lord. When that got lost through sin, Jesus said, I'll pay the price to get myself back in. That's pretty intense. He must think a lot about how he created us and why he created us. Did that ever bother you when you were young or bother you at later in age? I went to church till I was 18 on a regular basis and nobody ever explained these things to me. They just said, I'm a certain way. I'm always going to be a certain way. But he loves me for some reason, even though I'm a certain way. And he wants to forgive me for some reason and send me to heaven someday for some reason. <laughs> and it sounded good as far as a benefit, but it never touched my heart. It never made me ask a lot of questions. I didn't get it. Why does he care? Why does he want to die? Whoever dies for being good and dies for somebody like me so I can go to heaven? So, yeah, well, that's just how much he loves you. Nobody explained where the love was coming from and that he saw me for potential and purpose and created value, and he was paying a price to restore a truth, not take me to heaven. To restore a truth about my life. To get back inside of me. So I could wake up with reason and being. Not exist and pray that he helps me through. You know how much self-serving, self-centeredness has crept into the body of Christ to us. To where all of a sudden all our prayers are just to benefit the way it goes. And the way it goes determines our disposition. And our disposition determines our fruitfulness. A lot of things are designed to gray us out, guys. A lot of things are designed to tone us down, to straighten our faces. All of a sudden, somebody's excited and we're wondering if it's overplay. Denial, for real. We got so reduced that when somebody's free, our first question is, are they for real? Somebody's okay three times in a row when you ask them. We think we got to get them alone in a room and say, how are you really doing? Because we don't believe nobody can be okay three times in a row. <laughs> Come on, I'm just being straight, man. I've noticed this stuff. I've been paying attention. 
And I think we've been reduced to something that we never were. That's what's so awesome about the Gospel. You guys, I'm glad you young men are here. I'm glad you joined us for breakfast. You can hear this stuff. You're really listening too, buddy. You're a listener. I see it. I'm excited. You won't forget this. Listen, Jesus is asking you to give your life in the Gospel. And it sounds like and preachers will tell you, it's a heavy price. It'll cost you everything. It doesn't cost you anything but giving up what you never were in the first place. You're, you're giving back the lie of self-centered living in exchange for the truth, life in Jesus Christ. Like, how intense and hard is that? It's just that we've grown familiar with the lie. The lie has served our flesh. And all of a sudden, we want to kind of keep some of those things the same. Because we've learned to live for ourselves. So we don't want to give up what's not ours because we think it's ours. It feels like ours. And it's, we actually believe it's benefited us. But see, unless the seed dies and falls to the ground, it abides alone. So when you live for yourself, you're living for this. So when you stand before God in the end, you've lived for you and there's no multiplication of that. Just self-satisfaction and that will never show up on the map. That's a zero. But if a seed dies and falls to the ground, it will spring up and bear. That's what you want when you stand before Him. <laughs> you want fruit. Because in this, the Father's well pleased that you bear how much fruit? So He didn't just say fruit. He actually said much fruit and that your fruit remain. See? See? My brother's sitting there with his Yes Lord sweatshirt on. He, he's known me for a long time. He, he remembers me way back at YCF and he said, you know, the, that season, it's the first thing he said to me when I saw him, I haven't seen him for a while. He said, that season meant so much to me. You sowed so many seeds in my life and I saw your life and I heard these things and way back then and it has changed and helped and, and because of that, so many people, boom, 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 boom. So here we are all these years later and I'm still a madman. But people are being touched, influenced, empowered, and changed. This young man right here with the hat on, he's listening just recently. Going through things, getting desperate, crying out to God, highs, lows, right? Just a nutshell, giving a nutshell, not giving too much away. He's watching a sermon. I say something about selfishness, and, and it just, the lights go, ah, I'm so selfish, and it means nothing. It just hit him. I'm selfishly motivated. You can be selfish in your prayers, guys. Your whole prayer life can revolve around your benefit instead of your transformation. And if that's the case, your disposition's in question. You're going to be high and low. Because when things are going the way you're hoping, you're doing great, but now you're knocking on wood hoping it remains because it might not. It's short-lived, and I usually go through more hell than heaven, so I guess the bad road's around the corner. That's the stuff we say. And it's all about our convenience in our day and if things are smooth for us. Be careful, you never get caught in that trap. He goes, he goes, oh, and he said it was like a light moment, light bulb moment. Ding, ding, ding. Selfish, man. Never even thought about it. Like, it means nothing. All my desires, all my wants, the things that make me frustrated and agitated, the attitudes and the stuff that bothers me. And when he looked at it, he realized in a moment of the Holy Ghost, because I could tell it was the Holy Ghost when he told me, because he's like, he's starting to look worse than me. You were scaring me, man. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> you weren't scaring me at all. He, he, could, he was feeling this thing, though, and he was telling me from the heart. 
And it was a Holy Ghost moment. And all of a sudden he realized all those aspirations were worth nothing. That's what he said to me with passion. And I want, what a gift to get that revelation. Man, don't ever live to feel good. Live to be like him. That's what will feel really good in the long run. When you live to serve your flesh, then it always needs served. When you think happiness is circumstantial, then circumstances will always decide you. So you're being controlled by life, not the giver of it. Jesus is a real big deal, man. He came and showed me what life looks like. He didn't just tell me to live it. He showed me. And then he said, follow me. What an invite. I think I'm going <laughs> to. I want you to all come along. Yeah? In your homes, in your jobs, in your families. We can live impacting and influential. Don't let life eat your lunch. Don't let things bother you. Don't get caught up in things that are going to fade away and burn with fire. Don't get just so caught up with today's times and politics and people's decisions. If you're watching politics and your heart's getting mad, turn it off and get a renewed heart. If you've got judgments towards individuals, you better back off and be, be concerned. Because Jesus' answer is they don't know what they're doing, even though you think they do. Because if they really had a revelation, they'd be different. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, when I read my Bible, it sure looks like they knew. They had secret meetings. They had prices. They had plans. But what he's saying is they really don't see me for who I am. Their eyes are so darkened. And if they really saw me for who I was, they'd be different right now. Would you have mercy on them, Lord? That sure beats frustration. That sure beats letting where somebody's not decide where you are. That sure beats letting what someone doesn't see decide your vision. Are you with me? Man, you guys are listeners. You guys, this is an awesome moment for me. I'm humbled to be here with you guys. I just love being with a group of men, man. But I just think, I think we've been lied to so much and we don't even realize sometimes we just kind of grow into the suggestion of it all. It's my definition of manhood. I found it just through life, the locker room, and magazines. And when Jesus saved me, I realized, man, anything I thought about being a man couldn't have been more wrong. We, we tend to have this natural instinct of a certain pride and all that stuff. It just needs to die, man. In the end, it'll all mean nothing. I want you guys to realize that Jesus paid, us, paid for us to have total access to God the Father through the person of Holy Spirit. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about relationship with him and communion with him and how he'll transform our lives. But I'm telling you, you've got to be willing. The only way you'll ever become what he paid for and become love is you have to want to become love. And people say, well, why wouldn't we want? There's so many people I've realized as a pastor don't want to become love. They want to hold on to the rights that they inherited through the fall of man and the things that they grew up with called the way that seems right. And here's why it's a problem. It seems right. And your three friends that care about you will agree. 
But if your response to what seems right doesn't produce life, then why? And what's it matter? See, the way that seems right to a man is our biggest enemy in our growth in Christ. That's where we sell cheap without realizing we're selling. That's where we compromise without realizing. I'm not talking to a room of hypocrites here. I'm talking to a room of men of God that came to a men's breakfast that knew we were going to talk about the Lord and you're here. I'm talking to his boys. Like the roster of heavens right in front of me. (laughs) Yay! You're the best team he's got here. We can do it! (laughs) I'm going to be a motivational coach here in a minute. (laughs) You see what I'm saying though? I'm not correcting you. I'm not talking to hypocrites. You don't need straightened out. We just need to grow in understanding and, and, and get our eyes to see what we haven't seen before and expose some of these little foxes that are out to steal the precious fruit that wants to bear on the vine. And these kind of meetings are amazing because they stir us in love and good works and convict us and get us thinking about things that maybe we haven't thought about for a while or thought about at all. And if you just have a one ding, ding, ding light moment, bing, it's a big deal. That's what happened to me. It's, I got radically saved at work with no human being around. It was a light bulb moment. And I kept saying over and over on my way home, crying, my life will never be the same. You changed my life forever. You're so real. You're so really, really real. Before that moment, he was a doctrine. Before that moment, he was church attendance. Before that moment, he was what I should and shouldn't be doing. And in that moment, he was my father and my Lord. And all of a sudden, he was real. And that changed everything and kind of made me like this, whatever that is. You call, he called it goofy. I have a lot of people say it's goofy. You know why? Because it's so different than what we're used to. We're not used to seeing somebody that's actually excited about something, like really lit up and stay that way and we feel like we got to figure it out and tag it with authenticity or not, or legitimacy or not. Uh, Luke, you remember James, of course, Walt. When I first went to YCF, he, uh, he would sit on the other side of the church from me. When I first showed up, I was probably a week saved. That's trouble. <laughs> I've grown a little wiser since. I don't try to stumble people. I'm a little more behaved in an open setting. It's when I get alone that you probably would look at me funny. (laughs) See, when I grew up in church, the pastor at our church used to say, don't you come here and try to pull something in this church and do something in church that you ain't doing at home alone with the Lord. Good advice. But then when I got saved and went to church, I found that I couldn't do what I was doing at home at church. <laughs> and I thought, this is funny. And it's amazing how most people felt like they had to have an opinion about it. Paul said, don't be wise in your own opinion. And one of the first things we're trained to do in life is have our own opinion. Well, you know what I think? Well, I don't want to dishonor you, but maybe it's not important, depending on where that's coming from. What's wrong with social media and the bad side of it? It's an opinionated platform. 
It gives a platform for everybody to cast their opinion with no accountability or no nothing. No, just anonymous. Just throw your opinion out there. Well, this will I think. And people stay on there for hours and shoot back their opinions and accomplish nothing by the end of the day, practically. The last thing we need is a forum for man's opinion. Paul said, don't be wise in your own opinion, and it's amazing how we're prompted to have one. Everything this Bible's calling us to, we grew up in 180 degree opposite. And the temptation in doorways always there. We were trained by a lie, guys. We were homeschooled in the wrong home. We were brought up in a wisdom that's not the Lord. The way that seems right to man was our teacher from youth up. Yeah? We talked about this stuff last night. A large part of Christianity is realizing that and honoring the God part of that and putting off the old and putting on the new. Getting renewed in the spirit of your mind and Showing yourself approved, study, and stay steadfast in truth and understanding and growing in Him. That's your place. It's not listening to preaching. It's not just coming here and hearing me. It's what you do when you leave these settings and how you conduct your life on a daily basis and harness your mind from just going wayward and wandering and camping out on trivial things that aren't going to make a difference or musing on stuff that's producing things in your heart that are less than life. Just, just reading a news article about two people with prominence or power and then having an opinion who's right and wrong and then actually feeling like you just are angry at one of them or something. I talk about this stuff on purpose because that's so... Would you agree that's normal to us? But you show me one time where that arena has ever produced life except giving you the right to be right. It doesn't produce life. Sometimes it's at the expense of another. Did you ever notice that in our lives it was always about right and wrong, victim and villain? There's no winner in that arena. That's what's so tragic. Right and wrong, right and wrong. Okay, if God came to prove us wrong and He's right, we have no hope. He didn't do that. He came in righteousness. Righteousness looks at men in a way that makes what's wrong right. That's the difference. So we're totally wrong. God comes through Jesus to make wrong things right. He says, look, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. But I know what I created you for. And I know why you're here. So if you'll repent and turn from that, your heart will change. You'll be new. I'll put my life in you. And we can get back to business in the beginning. That never was taught to me as the gospel. It was get forgiven, get to heaven. That thing is pushed and beat like a drum. Pray this prayer so you can go to heaven. The major order call on the earth is if you leave this meeting and wreck off the road and hit a tree and die, do you know where you're going? And if you don't, raise your hand. We're going to pray. And we say 10 people just got born again. Born again is born again. And I'm not saying God can't work with that, but why do we always have to lean on His mercy and not present what He said? You're not praying a prayer to go to heaven. You're giving up your life. You're dying to the old so you can live to the new, guys. You're not getting benefited. You're getting transformed. You're not getting something from Him. You're becoming something because of Him. I wish we would just get this praying to go to heaven out of our hearts and minds. We're being restored back to what we were created to be in the first place. He paid a price to redeem a truth, not send you to heaven when you die. Yeah? 
Come on. You show me Scripture where Jesus emphasized He's dying so you can go to heaven. It's amazing that's what we preach. Jesus is the way to heaven. He's the way back to the Father, to communion and relationship with the living God. He said eternal life isn't praying a prayer to get your name in a book called life. He said eternal life is knowing the Father. So now I'm one with the eternal one who's never going to die, so I guess I live forever in Him. Yay, that makes sense. I guess Adam was made to never die because the day you eat the tree is the day you surely die. What's God saying? Death was never in the picture. So why do we live forever? Because death was never in the picture and Jesus restored the truth. So we were never intended to die, so we never will. Pretty amazing. Why do we make that the carrot? Why don't we make transformation and new life the carrot? Because only then can we produce life and manifest Him. Only then can we sow vital seeds into the hearts of men and have fruit that remains. It's possible in today's Christian culture to hear a rosy, heartwarming sermon, pray for all your needs to be met, have somebody bless you and feel the goosebumps, and go home and be just as mad at your wife or frustrated on your job or ticked off in the line you have to wait in as you were before the service. That's called religion. It's not Jesus. That's men incorporating Him into their life without Him becoming their life. And it's not willful, and it's not hypocrisy. It's usually ignorance. We don't know. A lot of us have only ever heard strong messages on what we can get from God and how to believe to receive from God. All we've heard is messages about provision, protection. Yeah? We've been guilty in the church of just preaching self-serving, beneficial messages that attract the hearer. But I can show you scriptures that say you died. Your life is hidden in Christ. You died to sin. To death He died. He died once for all. You die likewise to sin once for all and reckon yourself alive unto God. That's a whole different perspective when you wake up in the morning. You reckon yourself alive unto God. You just ain't going to work like you did before. You'll have a different conviction. If you wake up and believe you're a son, you'll start living like one without trying. The Bible says righteousness produces its fruit to holiness. All of a sudden I wake up and understand I'm clean and free. We sang about it. These guys put it up there, man. It was a great song. I'm not looking at my past. None of that has nothing to do with nothing, man. I'm going after God. That's generally what the song said without quoting it, right? My past means nothing, man. I'm putting away shame and regrets. And look, no matter where I've been and what I've done, my heart's different now. If I could go back and change it, I would, but I can't. But he changed me. Life starts now. You get it? Come on, man. There is no regrets. That's the world's way. It's 2 Corinthians 7. It's the world's way. And it's certain death. Regret producing death. We have godly sorrow. It leads to change of heart. Change of mind. It's like this young man saying, man, I lived for myself up to 29 years, but I'm done with it now and God's going to grow me in the truth. And even if I catch myself in self-centeredness, I'll see it now because I see what it is. It ain't going to sneak on me no more. I'm going to deal with it if it shows up and I'm going to keep growing up into Him and God's going to cause me to live in a selfless place and I'm going to walk in His glory. I'm going to bear the fruit of His life. That's where you live, man. Every one of us is called to that. And you're the steward of your own heart. you got to guard your heart. Man, don't let things that don't mean nothing get in there and dictate your heart, please. 
You got to guard your heart. I can't guard it for you. Your brother can't guard it for you. We can hold you accountable. We can nudge you. We can say, hey, man, I'm a little concerned. Be honest with me. Bam, bam, bam. We can do all that. But ultimately, you're the one that walks out you. That's why you got to decide. That's why you got to. He said, who do men say that I am? Man, they had all kinds of thoughts and opinions in that day, way back then. What do you think it's like now? They said, well, some say and some say. Could you imagine if there was social media when Jesus was on the earth? Uh, that would have been frightening. <laughs> Who do men say that I am? They had all kinds of responses. And he looked them boys right in the eyes. He said, who do you say that I am? Because see, you'll never be able to walk out anything but how you reply to that question. Who you say he is is what you'll live. You can listen to me. You can say, well, this is a little too extreme. Well, this is a little too much, brother. God's pleased with me. God's happy with me. God's just happy for me to just stay quiet. And he blesses our family. He pays my bills. I'm saying, man, you don't have any scripture to back that up. But see, if you choose to believe that, that's all you'll ever manifest. And I'm just telling you, life's a gift, not a, not a dread, not a grind, not a challenge. Life's a gift. It's from the Lord. There was 500 million approximately sperm cells racing to your mother's egg. And it was you that jumped in there. And he said, there's a time to be born. So don't think it's happenstance. Well, my parents wasn't even married. Doesn't matter. Life comes from God. He's the author and giver of life. And he saw your day before it was seen and predestined you be adopted as a son. You can look at your natural roots and judge your spiritual roots, but he said, call no man on earth your father, Matthew 23, 9. you got one father and he's in heaven. The word father there means come forth from. What he's saying is you came forth from one. Don't you get caught up with a biological identity and heritage and get all caught up in sentiment. You came from one and he's the father. And if you're here, it's because he said so. Make sure you get that. <laughs> That's a big deal, man. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I should even. I don't know. Look, my dad was alcoholic and my mom was beautiful. He was probably drinking and she's always looking good. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am. (laughs) I could say the rest of my life. Well, I don't even think they loved each other. You know, I'm probably happenstance. You know, if dad wasn't drinking. Mom and I probably wouldn't even been born. Stop it! You're born! There's a time to be born! 500 million sperm cells racing to that one egg. One gets in, one's the winner. And it's me. Bam! Eat your heart out, man. They're all racing. I could just be chilling. I'm just coming up through. I can backstroke to mama. Why? Because it's me. Uh, foundation of the world, selected, hand-picked, me. <laughs> Hundreds of millions, man. <laughs> it's me. It was you. Here you sit. That tells me something. And see, you've got to have this view so that people don't bother you anymore. You actually value people. And their disposition might be outside of what pleases you and what you expect. Stop letting that judge their value, purpose, and potential. See, because that's how God saw us on your darkest day. He never lost sight of who you were. 
what you were created. When you had no clue who you were, he knew from the beginning. He sent his son while we're yet sinners. How's that work? Because he was able to separate you from what you didn't understand and see you for what he intended. It's called love, covering a multitude of sin. Now, if God saw us that way and we really get that, that'll do something in our heart to see each other that way. So my days of thin-skinned and my days of not being able to bear with you should be over. It should be, well, they get on my nerves. No, get new nerves. Stop waiting for them to change. Hello? Come on, man, just challenging you in some things. Not correcting you, I'm just encouraging that there's a higher way. It's called His way. Yeah? Man, I wish I knew this stuff a long time ago. I've had so much fun in 23 and a half years. I can't even describe it. I couldn't even write it out. See, I, I think about it. I could just sit here and lose it on you guys. I've had so much fun. I've lived with me for 23 years. And I've loved every minute of it. I used to not like me at all. I used to feel insecure. I was full of pride. I needed you to like me, to feel like I was likable. I'd work hard to get a laugh at them, and that was the expense of somebody else. I'd try to fit in and be noticed and be recognized because I had no value and I was insecure. 23 years, man, I've lived with me. I've been hanging out with me and him for a long time now, and I love it. I love who I am in him. My conscience is clear. I sleep at night like a baby. I'll wake up. Boop, I'm ready to roll. Life is fun in God. Nobody owes me a thing. I wake up free. I got a perspective that only God could give. And I think I finally am understanding what freedom really is. I'm free from living for me. And because I'm free from me, it makes me free from you. Because there's nothing about me you can touch wrong. Because it's not about me, it's about him and his kingdom. So if you touch me wrong, I'm going to touch you in him. If you treat me wrong, I'm going to respond in him. So there's nobody in here that can let me down or break my heart anymore. So when I'm free from me, the evidence is I'm actually free from you. Here's why that's important. When I'm free from you, I'm finally positioned to love you, and that's what I'm created for. You get it? How many times have we been caught finding our identity through one another? That's why people have cliques. That's why they hang out with select few. Not always. It doesn't have to be unhealthy. But, but we should be able to get along with them. We should be able to sit and talk with people. And whether we agree with what they're saying, their attitude or perspective or not, you know they have a higher potential. You don't judge them for that. You know who they can be. Because you've read this. And you know what he paid for. And he proved it when he hung on that cross. He said, this is true about every man. How easy is it to fault find? But who is man of God enough to see past what they don't like or wouldn't be pleased with and see that there's something deeper? Who's ever dug for some deep in the ground earth precious jewel stem, uh, gem or stone, and quarried or mined? Who's ever done it and not had to pass through a lot of dirt to get? Jesus said, there's something in every man worth my life. And he paid to bring it out. Why don't we see ourselves as his workmanship and his workers and make sure our eyes are in tune with his? So that when we see men, we see exactly what he sees and not what we're displeased with. Are you with me? Come on, we can live this way, guys. 
We could just settle this and say, yep, I want to go in this direction. So let's just say, I got you. I don't know. This is dangerous. I don't have a watch on. She says, where is it? Oh, it's way up there. Ooh, ooh. No, I can see it. I just would have never found that up there. I'd have, I'd have had an excuse to go for eternity. <laughs> I'd have looked out, you guys. would have had big, long beards. I'd have said, man, have we been here a while? <laughs> It's early. No, I'll be done. I I won't have to take long because I don't want to have to say too much. I'll just say something you can sit on, but I I want you to get this. Uh, Philippians, Philippians. Can you look with me in Philippians? Let's do chapter 2 real quick. And then uh, I just want to show you two little phrases here. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about Holy Spirit in the book of John. The book of John, he talks a lot about Holy Spirit. He calls him our helper. The word zalos in the Greek, it means the same kind as. What he's saying is, I'm going to send somebody, he's just like me. He's the same as me. And really what he's saying is, he's going to do in my absence what I would do if I was here. But it'd be better if I go, so he would come. Because if I don't go, he won't come. And what he's saying is, See, he'll do in my absence what I would do if I was here, but in my absence, he'll do it within everyone that believes. In Jesus' day, you had to get to where Jesus was. In the day we live in now, Holy Spirit comes into you, and he's where you are. So he multiplies himself in as many as would believe. So we got to make sure what we're believing, and that it's on track and it's fruitful. Because Holy Spirit's here to empower that, and cover the earth with the glory of the Lord. We get tricked into just interceding and praying and fasting for the pouring out of God's Spirit and the glory of the Lord. And I understand we can study history and the outpourings, but where are they now? And they were jump starts. They were pointing to something. They, the, this thing that we're in now, what God is raising on the earth, is revival through people that's hearts are alive. It's not going to be a specific outpouring. I'm, I'm just telling you that. God is raising up people that know who they are because of who He is. And they're living their life in Christ. And it's going to be widespread. You're going to have those people there. Watch this. You guys live here. So is there anybody outside? Oh, uh, Kevin, you live in Minnesota. Is that where you live? He's from Minnesota. I'm from PA. Most of you from Texas. Anybody from anywhere else? Oklahoma. Bam. Yeah, that wasn't a word of knowledge. <laughs> but I just remembered our conversation. I should have like qualified that. You guys, whoa, he knew. <laughs> Oklahoma. Anybody else? Any other states? So we've got Minnesota, we got Oklahoma, we got PA, we got Texas. Now watch this. Watch this. I'm gonna fly out on a plane tomorrow. These guys are gonna end up driving home at some point. They're gonna live where they live, you're gonna live where you live, I'm gonna live where I live. How can we be one and have the unity of faith? We have different preferences. Some people like different music. Some people like it loud, soft, fast, slow. That's not what makes us different. Here's what makes us one. You find true unity in the midst of great diversity. We all have different personalities. We're all different. You're not trying to be like me. I'm not trying to be like you. We're following Jesus. Okay? Okay. Can you help me with something? What's your name? Manny. Manny. Come here, buddy. Okay. Manny and I. Can you, can you tell we're different? Okay. Can you tell? Now, this is Manny. This is Dan. Are you going to mix us up? 
Are you going to come up and be talking to Manny and saying, hey, Dan, I didn't say, oh, man, I thought you were Dan. That's right, you're Manny. Do we look at anything alike? Is there any way to confuse us? So we don't, we don't, we're not comparable at all, right? But watch this. Manny's going to leave this meeting. I'm going to leave this meeting. Tonight we'll go to bed. Tomorrow we'll wake up by the mercies of God. Here's what makes us one. I wake up for the image of God and I wake up to love. Manny wakes up for the image of God and he wakes up to love. We're both empowered by Holy Spirit. I live in PA. He lives in Texas. I'm in PA waking up, pursuing the image of God and nobody owes me a thing. Manny's in Texas waking up for the image of God and nobody owes him a thing. That's the army he's rising up. It's, it's the accountability of faith holding his own heart accountable. We don't look anything alike, but we can both look just like him. That's oneness. That's what makes us one. No, we ain't got the same mama. But we got the same papa. Amen? That's it, man. That's what makes us one. We can both be like him when we're living in Holy Spirit. You can go to Minnesota and live the same way. You can go back to Oklahoma, man, live the same way. And all of a sudden, there is an army on the earth that gets it. And all of a sudden, we're not just learning how to do good church. We've actually become her. And we're actually walking in the light as He's in the light. And letting our light so shine before men that they actually see your life and give glory to Him. You get it? Now, I'm just going to make a strong, narrow statement, Mr. Greg, in your, in your men's meeting. Anything else isn't full, true Christianity. It's a form of it. It's a version. This is what he paid for. Because Scripture after Scripture after Scripture talk about it. And somehow, we got away from it and preached a gospel that serves me without transforming me. That's why you have discouraged people that go to church. That's why you have people that are mad at God in church. Because He's still owing them in their theology. And they have never surrendered their lives. And the good news is, what I said earlier, the only thing He's asking of you is to give back what was never yours in the first place. It was never your life from the beginning. Isn't that something? We're going to look at this in Philippians, but uh, 2 Peter 1 says, You have exceedingly great and precious promises through which or by which you partake of His divine nature. The promises are assuring that the grace will be sufficient to bring the change necessary to follow Him. We think promises, we think vats and barns. He said you have exceedingly great and precious promises. You have more than enough promises and more than enough grace to partake of His divine nature. Nature, comma, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. He's not talking about sexuality there. It has nothing to do with pornography. It has nothing to do with a man looking at a woman. It has to do with self-centered, unsatisfiable desire. Man seeking his own. What he's saying is the nature of God is selfless and it's love. And through the promises as you yield, you'll partake of who He is and you'll escape the thing you were snared by living for yourself. Scripture. Can I quote another one for you? 
It's the end of Philippians 2. We're right here. We can just look at it. I don't even have to quote it. I'm just telling you I read this book. Yeah. We probably ought to, huh? Let's see where I want to read it. Every time. Okay. So, so let's just jump in here where... And I, and I, oh my goodness, this is too good. Ah! Okay, I want to make this point. I'm like, Lord, this is really tough, right? He's probably chuckling at me going, no. (laughs) So who knows God's given Jesus the name above every name? Who knows that the mention of His name, Scripture says, every knee in heaven and every tongue is going to bow and confess heaven and earth, under the earth, that what? Jesus is what? Lord. Yeah? Okay. To the glory of God the Father. Verse 11. Because this is true, that's what therefore means, in light of what I just said. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own, not somebody else's. Don't listen to the sermon for your spouse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just a reverence and an awe of God. Now watch. For it is God who works in you. For what reason? To will and do for His good pleasure. This is amazing, man. Come on, these Scriptures are everywhere. I can just start going through and just read stuff like this. And I'm like, where did these Scriptures go when we just started to preach a beneficial Gospel? He said, unless you love less your mother, your father. These are important folks. Your mama, your father, your spouse, your children, your houses and your land, and yes, your own life. Unless you love less that list that most people get saved for the preservation of. Unless you love less that list, you'll by no means, no way, Be my disciple, a wholehearted follower and a disciplined learner. He didn't say you won't go to church, serve in a ministry, and be on an elder board. But he said there's no way you'll fulfill what I called you to and created you for. Because one of those things on the list will get in the way and capture your heart. Disheartening you, discourage you. And you'll say, well, I can't believe God. And how come? Well, I don't understand. Well, I'm confused. There's things you can't let happen. You can't be tricked into being a Christian for you. It'll be a terrible journey. You have to be a Christian for His namesake and for His kingdom. And if we preach it any other way, we're doing injustice to the hearer. You are not a Christian for you. You're a Christian for His great name. In Ezekiel, he said they went out from among and went to nations and profaned my name everywhere they went. Who's he talking about? The Israelites. He rose them up out of the earth as the holy lump, the chosen people. Right? Why? So that the nations of the world would know him through them. That's how it started there. It's a type and shadow of the church to come through Jesus Christ. Why is it any different now? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify the Father. So God, through His people, through a new covenant, Christ in you, the hope of glory, He wants to make His great name known to the nations through His people. 
Yeah? Ephesians says it, to the intent that God would make His manifold wisdom known to the powers and principalities through His church. Wow! What an honor to walk in love and mercy and forgiveness. To make peace and be a peacemaker. Not issue oriented. Not stuck in rightness. Not a debater. What an honor to be a peacemaker. Because blessed are the peacemakers. For they are the sons of God. Not those who are confessing sonship. Those who are making peace. Yeah? Come on, there's so many scriptures, man. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. He said, what credit is it? Do you love those who love you? He said, doesn't the tax collectors, don't the pagans, don't don't they do that? He said, man, but when you love, when you love somebody that's working against you, somebody that's your enemy, when you give to those who despitefully use you, right? He said, do this so you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5. So you may be sons of your Father in heaven, who causes the rain and the sun to shine on the fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. You live the same way, he said. This thing is all about making him known. He said in Ezekiel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out and pull all my people back from all these nations where they profane my name. Guys, it's in there, it's in Ezekiel. He said, I'm gonna pull them all back. I'm gonna put a new heart now, a new spirit in them. I'm gonna put a new heart in them and take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And he said, I'm not going to do it for their sake. I'm doing it for my great name. I read that when I was a new Christian. I laid on my bed and I bawled and I cried and I bawled and I realized that I had the gift of life and assigned me my whole life and didn't know it. And I profaned His name without realizing that I lived for my flesh for years and I misrepresented. I went to church and didn't look anything like Jesus. And I bawled and I bawled and I cried and I settled in my heart. Lord, I want to live for Your great name. Burn it in me. Holy Spirit, I welcome You. And I commune with God. And anytime you get in that place when you're all alone, you're either one of two things. You're either on to something, you're out of your mind and you get a hobby. But I believe I'm on to something. I don't think I'm wasting my time. Holy Spirit hears me there. Faith touches Him. Grace touches me and what I'm crying out for becomes my reality. And all of a sudden, I'm living in what I'm longing for. Without biting my lip and trying. It's all grace through faith. Yeah? So there's no super Christian on the earth. It's just people that believe. The only thing, the only thing you'll be guilty of in the end, if you live this way, is believing Him. It's His grace and He's going to get all the glory. And we're just a bunch of believers and I'm thankful we believe. Yeah? We don't see that. We see super Christians. Man, you're an awesome Christian. Man, you're amazing. You're a man of faith. You're this. Just a believer, friend. I'm just reading the book like you are. And where he says yes, I say yes. Where he says nope, can't be. Where he says it's possible, then it's possible. And I may have never seen it with my eyes, but I see it with my heart. And I'm going after God. Too late to be talked out of it. I'm well in this thing. The worst you could do is shoot me with a 9mm right now and I'm still not going to die. You can hang me on a cross. I'm not going to die. I already won. I'm in this thing. Blood speaking better things, man. I'm in it. We, it's over. I won. Now we might as well just walk it out and enjoy some kind of victory. 
Yeah? Can't lose now. We're in. Can't lose. It's never about death. It's never about circumstances. It's never going to die. Circumstances are an opportunity to shine, so they're not a problem. We got this thing whipped. When we understand. Woo! Can't stop it now. Train's rolling. You better get on or get run over. Holy Ghost train, it's chugging, man. People say, you're out of your mind. No, I'm probably out of yours. <laughs> Yay. You guys all right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm feeling about half crazy right now. I get a little goofy things going. The goofy things coming on me, man. I got to back off. I got to back off. All these scriptures, man. How many scriptures do we need? Therefore, as my beloved, since Jesus is name above all names. Now, did you ever notice in the Bible, he exalts Jesus like beyond, beyond, right? And then quickly, immediately, in the next sentence refers to us because he's making us one. Did you ever notice he does that several, several, several times in the Bible? He says in Matthew 28, he raises from the dead. It must have been an incredible moment. I think he was pretty passionate and fired up. People are like, calm down, brother. You're using emotionalism to stir people. And I'm like, okay. So Jesus raises from the dead. And he comes to his disciples. Hey, guys. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And uh, and I want you guys to go. There was probably so much fire in his eyes. There was probably so much power coming out of his voice. Like when he speaks, it's like many waters. Could you imagine the moment when you're raised from the dead and you're holding the keys of death, hell, and the grave and you conquered and you won and you were the lamb slain before the foundation of the world and now you're there at the point that you were slain for? (laughs) Probably not a good day to tell him to calm down. He would say, settle down, brother. You got the wrong day to settle down. That's the problem. Too busy trying to settle down. Wrong day. Tomorrow's not even a good day to talk about it. Talk to somebody else. I'm the wrong guy. Calm down. I've been this way my whole Christian life, and I'm getting worse. I am. You know why I'm getting worse? Because I know him a little more than I knew him then. And that'll make a difference. And all of a sudden, you're not up here trying to preach doctrine. You just open up your heart and talking about us. There's a difference. There's a difference. If I'm just preaching my relationship with Jesus and I'm in love, that's going to have an effect on me. And I ain't lacking for words. You figured that out. And I ain't following no script. But I preached half the New Testament already this morning. Didn't I? Yeah. Because I don't even know where we're going, but I know right where we're going. How's that work? (laughs) You get it? Therefore, as my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now watch. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and do for His good pleasure. That's the Gospel right there. So every day you wake up, wow, you're working in me. For your will to be done. For your good pleasure. Man, you're not in me to make me feel good and you're not in me to make things go today the way I hope. Now, I pray a general safety over today and I bless my children and I thank you for the honor of my job. 
But God, I thank you above all these things that I would shine like you would if you were standing in my shoes. And seeing that you're in me, I guess that's the way it is. So Holy Spirit, I yield to you and I thank you without trying hard, today is going to be awesome. Boy, that'd be a cool attitude to embrace in the morning. Instead of, oh, you got to be kidding, six o'clock already? Man, I can't even, God, you got to give me grace. I got that meeting today and then at two I got, man, I got my plates overloaded before I left the house. God, if you don't help me, I ain't getting through. And then we call that prayer. And you're already dreading going. There's no way you're shining. It's self-centeredness. We don't even realize it. It's so normal. But it's self-centeredness. It's focused on yourself. Let me ask you a sincere question before I read. If you're discouraged, if you're discouraged, where's your focus? On you and what's affecting you and what it's costing you and what it's putting you in. Without selfishness, you can't be discouraged. That's why you couldn't change Jesus. Because He's love. He's not selfish. There's, 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 there's no love in selfishness. There's no selfishness in love. They're totally... It's like light, dark. Angels, devils. There's no in-between. We create gray zones. There's no selfishness in love. There's no love in selfishness. That's how you can mistreat Jesus for three years. Gossip, backbite, think bad in your mind, scheme, asking questions from wrong places continually and never change the man. Why? Because every day he woke up, you didn't know him a thing. He woke up to love and manifest the Father. He was motivated by truth and he's telling us to learn from him because he's a good teacher. And he said, you only have one teacher and he's the Christ. Let no one be your teacher. So if what I learned, I didn't learn from him, I didn't learn at all. You get it? Call no man on earth your teacher. Come on, we've learned just by life and along the way. A large percentage of what we've learned along the way we need to throw out called putting off the old, putting on the new, new life through Jesus Christ. Old things pass. He's not just talking about the bad stuff we did. He's talking about the attitudes, the perspectives, the mentalities, the motives. Why don't we talk about that stuff more? The why behind your life determines you. Why you do it is what matters more than what you do. You could do a good thing for wrong reasons. It'll never stand before the Lord. Are you with me? The pure in heart see God. He wouldn't talk like that if you couldn't have a pure heart. Some of us believe our hearts can't be pure because we've been so stained and trained by the fall of man. But he puts a new heart in you. You say, well, the heart's always wicked. Scripture says Old Testament. Well, I hasn't seen, here hasn't heard, brother. Yeah, but God has revealed these things through his spirit. New Testament. We're notorious for quoting old and missing new. You guys good? Okay, I'm wrapping up. Let's just show you this. He says, only in my presence only. We're going to your own God's will do His will and good pleasure through you, right? So watch this. Verse 14. This is amazing. This is where we come in. So we already understood that not in Paul's presence only, that would be hypocrisy. If we wait till he's absent and then we do other things, we only do right when Paul's present, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? So he's saying, not in my presence only, but much more when I'm going 
You keep walking these things out, man. It's God working in you. God is working in you. God is working in you. Why? Because he wants to. That's a big deal, man. I was a house fit for a king the whole time, and I didn't know it. I was prime real estate, man. I had a high price tag, and he paid for me, and I was living for foolish things. Oh, I get it now. Watch this. Therefore, uh, or uh, no, uh, verse 14, do all things because of this. Do all things, watch, without complaining and without disputing. It's just quarreling and arguing. Why would you live without complaining and disputing? Verse 15, so you, see, don't tell me it's not possible when he writes this stuff and calls us to it. So that you may become blameless, harmless children of God. That means innocent children without fault in the midst. That means your demeanor, your attitude, your responses, your perspectives. Now, men will say what they want about you, and you could be doing everything right, and they'll say things wrong. Jesus could tell you that firsthand. But deep in their heart, they know they're doing it. And you can't let what they're saying change who you are because then it wouldn't be legit. Are you with me? The Bible's telling you and me that we can go to work and not function like we used to when we really didn't know Him. And we can go to work without grumbling, complaining, and actually shine to our co-workers as harmless, innocent children of God in the midst, watch, of a perverse generation. What makes them perverse? That means twisted. They're thinking for themselves, you're thinking for the kingdom. It's that simple. They're thinking for themselves, the lunchroom arguments, debates, and the company, and, and the co-workers, and, the, and all the stuff that goes on in a workplace, and what's fair, and what isn't fair, and the new policy, and how you feel, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, everybody's leaving lunch, and you'd act like they're mad they work there. You'd think they're mad they work there. But they're there because they have bills, and they're getting money, but they're mad they're there, and they don't agree with nothing. And it's a rat race. you got to come out of that thing. You can't get caught up in that thing. You've got to be thankful for provision. See your job as a tool and do it under the Lord, whether you agree with your management or not. I mean, your boss could be an off-the-wall, not-cool guy, and everybody hates him. You're called to love him and weep for him and pray for him, not talk about him. You're called to forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. And if you have a revelation, why aren't you using that revelation to reach his heart? Why are you stepping out of the revelation to agree with the crowd? Come on, man. This thing is real. Don't you be deceived. One day, we're all going to stand before Jesus, and this stuff will be crystal clear. And make sure that you're not in a place where you go, oops. Let's get it now, man, and leave a legacy. Let's run and live this thing and run worthy of a prize. Why, why wouldn't we go after this? Look. So you can be harmless, innocent children without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation whom you, whom you, talking to you and me, whom you shine as a light. See, anything that quenches the light in your life is deception. It's from hell. Anything that crushes your demeanor, your expression, and takes it outside of the realm of light is a trap. You're buying into a lie. 
He said, well, just, I just need time, man. I just need to cool off. Why do you give yourself that permission to need to cool off? Why do you even have a grid to get hot in the first place? You see what I'm saying? Well, they really hurt me. Just give me time. I need time. Well, why do you have such a platform to be hurt? Maybe you ought to look at that instead of what they did because somebody else will hurt you again. And you'll go to church the rest of your life and serve on the elder board and you'll pass the buckets and you'll be a, dressed nice at the door and you'll be a greeter and you'll be legit and upright and people love you and yet people are determining you. And now you just got caught in playing church and playing religion and you're not impacting lives because you're just like men that don't go to church. Hello? What good would it do, Pastor, if we gathered together and came to church for the next 30 years, never missed a Sunday, actually paid tithes, offerings, and alms, and worshipped loud, and got thrown into crisis and responded like the man that never went to church, got treated wrong, and acted like the man that didn't even believe in God? Surely it has to be more than that. Here's how I know this is right. We got churches on almost every street corner in every city. Mostly because we can't agree. It's a statement that this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe. And because I believe this, I sure don't believe that. It's just a reality. A lot of those churches started because men were together, couldn't agree, started their thing. Well, we need to this in the church. You can look at church names and you can tell where things start sometimes. Yeah? You go, here, you know, you, you, got, you, got, uh, you got virgin oil, then you got extra virgin oil. Church names are like that sometimes. The glory house, the mega glory house. The new glory house. Stuff like that. You can see it. You can see where people are coming from sometimes. Here's how I know this is right. Watch this. It's simple. And I'm not saying it so I'm right in your sight. I need to know I'm right in my heart because that's what I wrap faith around. I believe it. You can fill all those churches all over the country. How many church buildings must there be in the United States? Ah, it, it's got to be. You can fill every one of those seats tomorrow for every service that's had across this land. Every seat full. Pastor's dream come true, it seems. Fill every seat in every church tomorrow and it will not change the world. But you get all those people to become love. To lay down their life and pick up Christ. and Become love. And pursue His image. It has to change the world. Christianity is not church attendance. It's Christ-like. Anything less is religion and a form of what he paid for. Don't you get trapped in this hour with the good hearts that you have to be here. I know I'm talking to men of God. Don't you get tricked in this hour. Don't you take account of suffered wrongs. Don't you take things personal. And don't you let life decide how you're doing when the giver of it is on the inside. Don't say, I'd be doing better if it wasn't for my wife. I don't think I should have got married. Stop. You got married, and on that day you were short. Don't say, well, yeah, but she caught me off guard. I didn't think she was this and that. Well, what about you? Why don't you just grow and mature and be more like Jesus and love her like he loves her church? Do you think you ever lived outside of the box of God's intentions? Do you think you ever lived outside of the box of God's desires? 
Do you think he ever looked at Jesus and said, boy, I'm not sure you should have paid for that one. I'm not sure what I'm doing joined with them. A little tough now because I said I'll never leave or forsake. I wish I wouldn't have come in the first place. They really bother me. Could you hear God talking like that? Then why do we have such permission to talk like that? Because we've lived for ourselves from the time we were born. And if any man come after me, let him first deny himself. Second, pick up his cross. What's that? That means don't let the sin against you give the right to produce sin in you. It means overcome evil with good. Tone down a harsh word with a kind word. Don't let the situation you're going through change you. Let what he went through already settle it. Carry your cross and follow him. That's Christianity. And it's a big deal. Are you with me? Okay. So we're going to shine as a light. And we're going to hold forth the word of life. Ain't that something in Philippians? Look at the beginning of the chapter. Ah, it starts with a therefore. That's trouble. I never jump into the therefore. That causes trouble. Many people take a scripture out of context. They'll read therefore, da, da, da. And they don't even know what it's there for. That's why the word therefore is there. He's saying in light of what I just said. So he's springing off of a statement to make a statement. And if you just read the statement that he sprung off of, without reading the statement he sprung off of, you will misinterpret the word in a lot of cases. You can't piece the word like that. Do you know things that we call cults? Some of these movements we call cults, and they knock on doors and hand out the little pamphlets. The pamphlets are very convincing if you don't know the word. Take a look at some of the pamphlets. Here's all they do. They take five scriptures out of five sections of scripture piece them together to make a statement. And when you read it, it's like, wow. But none of those scriptures say what they're making them say when they're in their proper context. It'd be like saying, and Judas hanged himself. Go and do their likewise. Probably not scripture. <laughs> you got to be careful with taking things out of context and just saying things singular. So he says, therefore, to start the chapter... So let's look let's just back up to chapter 1 real quick. I'll do, oh, there. Perfect. 27. Watch. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, if, he, if that one scripture tells you this is more than praying a prayer to go to heaven. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he's not talking about works and legalism. He's not talking about, about, about you doing better and trying harder. He's talking about you becoming something. Yeah? So he says, so whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. Here we are, me and Manny, one spirit, one mind, working together for the faith of the gospel, right? I am PA, he in Texas, waking up for the same reason. Bam, synergism. God touching the earth through people. Ain't that awesome? Come on, don't think this thing's too hard and too big. It's, we can do this. Just think if every one of us in this room start living this way at some level and growing in this truth. Just think of the impact it will have on your spheres of influence and how many people will be touched by the change in your life in the long run. I just had several men that, that I've known from the past and that I haven't even met that are just watching and YouTubing and people I've known come to me and share with me the impact, the change of their life, and they wouldn't be the same. I had a married couple last night come up and cry, and she was crying the whole time. It was your wife. It was you. Yeah, and she was so precious, and she said, we wouldn't be together if it wasn't for this truth. Isn't that what she told me? And, and here they are now helping what? Other marriages. What was the answer? Man, we were self-centered. We made each other enemies. 
We weren't even thinking of Jesus in us and walking in love. This thing changed everything, how we see each other, how we deal with each other. This thing restored our marriage. We're in love. We're helping other marriages. Boy, that sure beats, well, brother, you know, I know. I've been around her a little, and sometimes I think it would be hard to take two. I, I understand why you're hurt, man. I, well, you probably ought to really pray. Maybe it ain't even the right one for you, man. I mean, just seek God. <laughs> yeah? And all of a sudden, this thing's what? Multiply. Now, watch this. There's so much conviction. I feel it when I talk. It's in me. People say, man. You're so persuaded, like in your heart. I can see you passionately believe what you say because there's always so much passion in it. Well, that's the thing. I'm preaching out of my revelation. I'm preaching out of what He's empowered me to become. This is the way I love my wife. It's the way I love my family. It's the way I treat my relationships. So when I stand to preach, I'm not preaching a sermon. I'm just talking about it. And because it's a revelation, it carries the power to illuminate the heart of the hearer and reproduce the same results. So I'm not just stimulating your knowledge. It's actually stirring your heart. You get what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, it's reproducing after its own kind. Now that sure beats me having unresolved conflicts with my wife, having issues like every other man, and settling into, well, brother, everybody has their moments. Praise God for His grace. At least He loves us. That's a pretty lame doctrine. Because it empowers you to stay the same without conviction. Yeah? But with change, look what it brings. Influence and the passion for more change. And then through them, influence and the passion for more change. I wonder if I'd have took the eight-year span with my wife where she was going off the deep end and wasn't functioning as a wife at all. I wonder if I'd have internalized that and took that personal and just moved on. Don't get condemned if you moved on. What I'm saying is let's get that mentality out of us so we live different now. When did Jesus ever move on? He said, the only reason, they said, they said that the guys were so perplexed when Jesus talked, when they challenged him with divorce, they were so perplexed, they couldn't even, even his disciples said, well, then, then Lord, who could be married? Who could even be married? He said, well, then why then did the Pharisee, why then did Moses offer a certificate of divorce to be served as wife, granted divorce? He said, Moses only gave you that permission because of the hardness of your heart. But it was not this way from the beginning when man was made for God's image. That's called love. God is love. He made man to love, not need love, not to get in and out of love. The only reason Moses wrote this because you guys were set on unforgiveness and hardness of heart. You were living in the fallen nature and passing with a 4.0. That's what he said. And his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, this is a difficult saying. Who, who then could be married? Because <laughs> they know themselves. And they know they got tons of issues. And a lot of them are lording over their wives and only using them for sex. Hello? <laughs> yeah? <sighs> oh, man, I better tone down now. I feel it. It's a little nervous right now. Let me jump into this. 
Don't you in any way be terrified by your adversaries to you. It's uh, evidence of your salvation to them, uh, proof of their destruction. You and evidence of your salvation. It's all from God for it. To you been granted, not only on behalf of Christ, to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. That means you're going to go through stuff that isn't fair. You come out of it shining to manifest him. I worked with guys that saw my life for 13 years. I was just one of the boys. I swore, I said five curse words to say three English because that's how the guys were in the warehouse. So I said five curse words, and the more vulgar words you said, the cooler you seemed. And I'd say five curse words to get out three English. When I'd go home, I wouldn't say a single curse word in front of my wife, but I did it in front of the boys. We'd crack open food cases in the warehouse. We'd eat and pilferage. If we'd have got caught, we should have been fired. We were doing stuff. None of that belongs to me. I'm an employee. I'm an employee. Where do I get the right to all of a sudden crack open a box and just start eating a thing of Pringles as I'm driving and working? But you just assume these things in self-centeredness and deception. You get mad at your company. You think they're unfair and you think they deserve it. And Yeah? But when I got saved, I was so changed. My coworkers were freaking out. They were mocking me, persecuting me. They were scared for me. They told me I was in a cult. They told me I was brainwashed. They said, who got a hold of you? What people are you connected with? And all this fear stuff. Why? Because my life made them nervous because I wasn't like them anymore. And there wasn't one thing negative about my life they could point to. And when I asked them what was negative, the one man said, well, you're so polite it makes me sick. (laughs) See how we're trained? So polite was sissy. He'd rather me be cursing again because then he doesn't have to think about his life. It took a while. It was two and a half years. They're still persecuting me, but they couldn't deny it was changed. Men started getting saved. I left to go pastor. After I left, more men were getting saved. I saw men healed at my workplace. But they never saw a bad attitude, guys. Don't tell me we can't live this thing. You say, well, I don't believe you. Well, I understand. You have your right to not believe me. But in two and a half years, they never saw a bad attitude. They never heard a curse word, not because I wasn't trying not to swear. Swearing wasn't in me anymore. They'd ask me questions at lunch, and I'd answer their questions. But I didn't preach at them. I let my life do all the speaking. Had a supervisor call me on my day off and ask me how I lived the way I did. He said, I know you'll tell me it's Jesus, but I don't understand. I said, come on over to the house, man. I want to sit with you, He sat on my front porch and cried and got saved. Had another man standing around me. He's going through a divorce. He's losing all his money that he hoarded. And he got married late in life to a young lady and had like a tribe of children in no time. Man, she was a kid, kid, kid. She had like six kids or five kids in no time. And now she doesn't want nothing to do with him. And all his money is hers because they're married. And now he's losing everything. And he's falling apart and he's shaking and he can't function. And he's chain smoking. He's getting close to the end, so he lights another one. He never doesn't have one lit, ever. He can't calm down. And one night, me and a guy are standing here talking, and he's supposedly on break right here reading a paper on his forklift smoking, but he ain't reading. He's listening. And this guy's asking me spiritual questions, and I'm honored by it, and I'm pouring out my heart. This guy calls me in the morning. See, I'm telling you these stories because it sure beats having issues at work. It sure beats just doing my job, minding my business, getting my check, and going home. That's what we say. 
this is what you're here for. This is why he's in you. So I'm pouring out my heart. He's sitting here. I'm not even really, I'm focused on him. I'm not trying to minister to him. I'm not even really thinking about him being here. He calls my house in the morning. Chain smoking guy. He says, man, can we talk? I said, yeah, I was so happy he called because I knew he was struggling. I was trying to reach him. I was hoping I could have access to this talk. He says, man, I am so freaked out this morning. I don't know what to do. I had to call you because I know it has to do with you. I said, you're losing me, man. What's going on? Talk to me. What, what's up? He said, you know how I've been smoking? I said, well, I mean, I see you pretty much smoking a lot. He said, Dan, I'm chain smoking, man. I can't not light one up. It's like I'm so shook up by this whole situation. I'm lighting a cigarette off of a cigarette nonstop all day. When I'm my waking hours, there's a cigarette lit in my hand all the time. And he said, you were talking to Mike yesterday at break. I said, yeah, yeah. Back in, yeah. Now I'm, I'm on page. He says, well, I was sitting on my forklift and I was acting like I was reading my paper, but I was listening to every word. And he said, but here's what was freaking me out. And you got to help me with this because I'm really freaked out this morning because there was something coming off of you, man. Like I'm sitting on my fork and as you're talking, it felt like it was coming off of you. It felt kind of like an energy. It felt like something, but I, it was coming over me in this peace. I've never experienced this peace like, in my life. And, and I was so shook up by it. I was like, is this the Lord? And my mind's been, so he said, that's why I got, oh, I just put down the paper and rode away. He drove away because he was shook up like the fear of the Lord. He said, I just realized this morning, since I rode away from you guys talking on my break, I haven't lit one cigarette since then. And it just hit me just this morning and I'm freaking out. Like, I don't even feel like I want to light a cigarette, but I wanted to call you. I said, can I come to your house and just sit with you, man? See? I work four 10-hour days. Who knows that this is more important than anything? I said, can I come to your house? He said, what? I said, I need to come to your house and just sit with you, man. I want to explain some things to you, talk to you, and pray. He said, yeah. So I ran upstairs. I had this box I kept of Bibles so that I could always give people Bible when I ministered to them or they got saved because I'm always in situations. So I grabbed this Bible and I jumped in my truck because I had plans. Took off to his house. He sat there and cried like a baby. I gave him a Bible. He got born again. Took him to his bathtub, filled it up, and put him down till the bubbles stopped, baby. <laughs> Christianity. That you shine as a light holding forth the word of life. This isn't a good testimony, but it is, but it isn't. It's a sad one, but it's a good one. I left to go pastor. I was there for about four weeks. Receptionist says, Pastor Dan? Yes, ma'am. You got a phone call from a so-and-so? I went, for real? He was a co-worker that I was pretty close to before I got saved. We were doing things together outside of work, hunting and stuff. We'd hunt some grouse. We'd hunt some rabbits and pheasants. and We're hanging out, fish a little bit, getting close. When I got saved, he was totally taken back. His mama died of cancer. You just don't know what's going on with folks, right? Mama died of cancer. He must have cried to God. And mama died and mad at God. He's got issues. He's been touched wrong by Christians. And he believes every Christian's a hypocrite. You know, you've ever been around that mentality? I sit on planes all the time. And most people say, I used to go to church because they're mad now. And he called my, my, my office where I was pastoring. And I said, hey, hey, is this so-and-so? He said, yeah, it is. I said, man, what's up? 
last thing I thought is he's calling me because he acted like he didn't like me at all. He stayed away from me for the whole two years until I left the pastor. And he said, man, I owe you a big apology. I can't get it out of my mind, and I had to follow through today. I've been putting it off. but I'm, I, just, I said, man, you don't owe me anything. Yes, I do. He said, I treated you hard for the last two and a half years, and just because I have my own questions, my own things, and I know I didn't give you a right to speak in any of that. I've just totally kind of been mad at you. I felt like I lost a friend. I felt I lost you to, to, to religion. He was just bearing his heart. I said, well, man, you don't owe me no apologies, really. He said, well, I do for my own heart's sake. But he said, I want to tell you this. I honor you and I respect you. And I'm like, this is a real change. Like, he was not that way when I was at work. And he said, he said, you're the first Christian in my life, in his life. You're the first, it's no reflection on you guys. You're the first Christian in my life that ever lived what I heard him talk about. And I want you to know I honor that more than you know. And I said, thanks, man. I mean, I can't see it any other way. It's the way the Lord's taught me the gospel. And here I am, pastor now, and my life has truly changed. He said, I know. I, I've seen it firsthand. And I just wanted to say thanks for living what you said. And forgive me for the way I treated you for two years. And that was, he called me to tell me that. It's phenomenal. I go to a county prayer meeting. I'm going up the steps to a county church-wide prayer meeting. All the churches are gathering as one. It's a big deal. It's in the news. They're making a big stink, right? But it is important. I'm going up the steps. My, my co-worker's coming up the steps I used to work with who's not born again to my knowledge. And I'm like, he should be at work. It's Wednesday. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He said, Danny, I thought I'd see you here. He comes over and he hugs me. I'm like, I said, what are you doing here? Are you like, are you a Christian? He said, a couple weeks after you left, I was so convicted by your life. I was afraid to say anything to my wife. But I asked her, how would you feel about going to church? I thought she'd laugh at me. He said, my wife started to cry and said, I've been wanting to ask you that for a month or two and I thought you'd laugh at me. He said, we cried, we hugged, we went to church, we heard the message, we walked to the altar, and we both got born again. He said, now we have a prayer meeting in our home. He said, I took a personal day to come to this prayer rally to be a part of it, and I was hoping I'd see you to tell you and say, thank you for your life. I'm not boasting on me. I'm trying to give you an example that I'm very aware of and familiar with through my own experience in life. I'm not boasting on me. I'm not preaching me. I'm preaching Christ in me. Are you with me? Guys, we can live this way. This here scripture talks about, look at, look at chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm done. I wanted to be done by 12. I'm six minutes late, and I'm so sorry. If you've got to walk out on me, go ahead. I know it's not my preaching. It's too good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit. That word is koinonia. It's communion. It's co-union. It's friendship and relationship with the person of Holy Spirit. Paul's talking about it. In Philippians 2, in, I'll speed up for time because it's too late. I didn't want to be here this long. 2 Corinthians 13, the end of the chapter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What's he talking about? Knowing him as a person, as a friend, as a helper. God the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to you, revealing Christ through you, showing you things to come, bearing witness of Jesus, and bringing Him glory. Holy Spirit, you've got to talk to Him, commune with Him. He's the one that God gave you to be friends with, to nurture you and mature you and grow you in Christ. I understand, lock arms with me buddy, I understand good fellowship and good brothers. But Holy Spirit is beyond, beyond. Let's not let this supersede. Let's not let our need for discipleship trump the major mentor of your life. I asked Holy Spirit, where's all this discipleship fit in? I felt like God was training me and teaching me in such a way, but yet I'd glean from men that I'd see and respect and honor. You see what I mean? But yet, I was in this communion with Holy Spirit right out of the gate that He initiated and taught me. That's why I'm teaching it to you. And I sat in a, against a wall in the back room of the church and I said, Lord, where's all this with discipleship? Where does it all fit? Where do I come in? He said, Dan, I am the one discipling you. Glean from men. Look and see things you honor and that grace will begin to open up into your heart. But He said, I'm doing in you what Jesus did with the twelve. Is what he told me. And I went, yes, I like that. I'm going with that. That doesn't make me an island to myself. That doesn't mean I'm not accountable to people. I had leaders in my life. I still do. I still glean from men. I can recognize Jesus in the eyes of a brother. You see what I'm saying? And I can grow through all that stuff. But my best friend and my mentor, discipler, is God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had a lot to say about him. And Paul said two places that you have fellowship, co-union, communion with him. So you wake up in the morning, Holy Spirit, I so appreciate you in my life. Thank you for revealing Jesus to me even more and revealing Jesus through me even more. Man, I appreciate you keeping me on track today. If in any way I live outside of the desires, the prayers and the passions of my heart, thank you for keeping me on track. Man, I so want to shine as a light. Thank you for turning this thing on called my life in you and your life in me. And you just commune and you talk and you ask him questions and, and you're driving and you're just, thank you for being in my life. I want to know you more. Reveal yourself to me more and more. You commune with him. You say, you, you just talk him. You look up the word fellowship with Holy Spirit. It has to do with relationship. Don't be afraid of it. Most, most of the time you're taught the opposite, that he's, he's a grace or a goosebump or a dove. He's a person. And he wants to empower you to be more like Christ. I talk to, you say, do you just talk to the Holy Spirit? I talk to God the Father. I talk to Jesus, man. I, talk, I say, Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice. Man, thank you for unwavering and just showing me what love is and teaching me what I can walk in. Holy Spirit, I appreciate you making it happen in my life. Father, the way you see me in love is amazing. Thanks for helping my eyes to see all men the way you see I talk to all of them. The Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why? Because Paul said, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the communion of Holy Spirit be with you all. See? It was the love of the Father that initiated the grace that came through Jesus that introduced us into the communion and fellowship with Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said to baptize 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because he's acknowledging a Godhead that worked together for a cause and accomplished it. We get religious and say, if you're not baptized in the name of Jesus, it wasn't legal. That's what we say. I might be south enough to be in that zone. I am, ain't I? See, but here's the deal. If you understand Scripture, to baptize in the name of Jesus, or Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, it's all the same because He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I like to acknowledge the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because you have relationship with all three, and when you see the function of all three, it does something bigger in your heart. Are you understanding? And we make it a legalistic thing. See, I was saved. I was saved. I'm on a basketball court with my kids. They were little. They were 10 and 5 when I got saved. Now they're probably almost 12 and 7. They're definitely 11 and 6, almost 12 and 7, somewhere in that time frame, close to two years. I wasn't pastoring yet, but I was transformed. Uh, my buddy James, that's I made mention of, when I went to the church, he sat on the other side of the church because he had to get away from me because he said in his mind, oh boy, this guy needs attention. He came to me months later after getting to know me, sobbing, and said, I've owed you an apology for a while now. I said, what do you mean? He said, when you came here, I judged you quickly on the surface. I said, friend, you don't owe me an apology, but please consider where that came from and how easy you sold out and where your heart is to just have those opinions. I wouldn't even want to have those in my life. And we talked and had convicting conversation, but he came humbly and repented because as soon as I came to church, he felt like he had to decide why I was so expressive. I told that story and never finished it. I just ended with it because that's how easy it is to live with opinion. I'm on a basketball court, me and my kids. I'm enjoying my children for the first time in my life. I was never a good daddy at all. I was selfish. Sometimes I felt like I didn't even like my kids. I felt like my kids ruined my life and took away my marriage. I felt like my wife was just a mother more than a wife. I went through some stuff. I was so selfish. This guy come. He pulled into the parking. He parked his car and he got out and he walked over to us. And I thought, man, I don't know him at all. I said, hey, buddy. And we're playing and I'm teasing the kids and they're shooting. And my boy can't even get the ball halfway up to the rim. And he's trying and we're laughing. And my daughter's like, come on. And she's firing it away. And we're just having fun. He comes up and I said, hey, man, what's up? And uh, he said, I just want to give you this. And it was a track. I said, are you kidding me? You just pulled in and parked and got out just to hand me that track. He said, well, of course. Everybody ought to know. I said, man, bless you. I commend you for that. That's awesome. I said, listen, Jesus changed my life, man. I said, it is, I think it was about two years. I said, uh, about two years ago, I said, man, he came and he rescued me and saved me. I said, I'll never be the same. I said, that's why I actually appreciate this so much that you're, he said, so you got saved? I said, yeah. He didn't seem excited. And he said, were you water baptized? And I said, well, actually, I don't talk about it much. I said, I was. But I said, actually, I did it myself. And he's just looking at me. <laughs> I said, uh, I was in water and it just came to my heart and I thought about it. And I said, man, it was the most intimate, powerful thing. It was in the top handful of experiences I've had with the Lord. When I, I said, because I went under the water, I talked to him and I'm weeping and I understood I was dying. I had all the scripture in my heart. And when I went under, when I came out, it was like Holy Spirit was hovering there and and embraced me. It was the most incredible experience. He said, well, did you do it in the name of Jesus or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I said, honestly, sir, I don't even remember what I did. He said, well, then you're not saved. 
And I looked at him. I wasn't even two years saved, but I had enough wisdom to look at him. And I wasn't mad at him. I said, you're kidding me, son. You're going to come with a theological difference and trump everything going on in my heart. I'm a changed man. You can ask my children. I am not the daddy they knew for the first ten and five years of their life. I wouldn't even be down here at this park with my kids. My kids love me. They treasure the Christ in me. I'm having an impact in my life. And God's moving. And I'm seeing healings. I'm already hearing words of knowledge. And you're going to tell me and look me in the eyes that I'm not even saved because it wasn't according to your theological, technical view. I said, what you're doing, I said, was good. What you're doing is a tragedy. And I wish you would never stop and hand another man a track until you find change in your heart. And I just turned and started playing with my kids. And he just shook his head and walked away like I'm lost and not saved because it wasn't the name of Jesus. When if he'd have looked in my eyes, he'd have seen him. <laughs> Are you with me? Please don't get caught up in this stuff. It's hurt us as a people. And it's helped empower us to misrepresent him to others. Because we're too busy fighting with ourselves. Don't ever get caught in that mess. Please. Okay. Fellowship, commune with the Holy Spirit. The only way your life becomes love is communing with him. Telling him you're willing. You leave here and you say, man, that guy's pretty passionate. And some of it seems hard to embrace. And he said a lot. But the bottom line is I want to become love and I want to walk like Jesus walked. Would you help me, Holy Spirit? And I'm asking you to help me. And in any way that I'm missing that, you just show me and nudge me because I know you love me. I won't be condemned. I'll follow you. But I appreciate you in my life. You talk to him like that. You commune with him. You ask him questions. Quicker than you call a friend, you ask him questions. And you let him be Holy Spirit in your life. Would you? Yeah? Okay. I talked a long, long time. I got I got to close in prayer. I'm sorry. I didn't. I wanted to try to get done around 12 just to honor your day and your schedules because they got me coming back here at seven. I can preach a lot yet, but let's just uh, let's pray something together, okay? And uh, I want you to make contact with God. Like if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're and you're on board, you just tell the Lord. He already knows, but just affirm that for your own heart that you know what, Lord, man, I want to live this way. I want to be a major peacemaker in my home. I want to make peace with my spouse. I want to see her like you see her. I, I'm done with excuses and justifications to not being like you. I want to live like you, walk like you, by the power of your Spirit, so that men see my life and get a good look at who you are in me, so that they believe. I want my life to be in a place where it's worth multiplying, bearing fruit, God, and let it remain. You just go in a place like that where you make peace with God and talk to Him. If you were convicted about anything you heard, just settle your heart right now and receive His love and His mercy. Guys, you have total access to God. Receive His love, receive His mercy. There's no condemnation at all in this morning, in this day. It's not about failing, it's about becoming. You're not running the risk of failing when you step out and pray. You're privileged to become. So Holy Spirit, I ask you as these men are talking and praying to God, the Father, I'm asking you for grace in all of our lives. I'm asking you to empower us and, and strengthen us to become the men you created us to be. To become influential without trying so hard. That you would teach us that it's possible to live and not be self-conscious. That we're secure in you and we have nothing to prove. We're just privileged to become so. We're not insecure. We're not self-conscious. We're, Help us to become that. It's possible, Lord. 
I'm asking grace on all these men's lives. Man, they sat here and they bared me for a long time. They endured me for quite a while. I'm asking you to have mercy on them today and empower them in the truth of what we've been crying out with passion and let it be the experience of their life. Let it be the testimony of their lives. Father, you know why I flew here. I flew here to cry these things out because I know these men are worth your blood. You know I didn't fly here for that offering or I'd be in a bigger setting. I flew here for these men to be what you paid for. And I'm asking you to let these words hit the mark of their hearts and produce fruit for your great name. Don't let one man escape from this truth. Don't let one man be able to talk himself around it or out of it. Holy Spirit, corner every heart in a loving, precious way and convince us of the truth. Don't let one person think it's too late. Let everybody jump in now and make the most of time. And one day we stand before you. I pray that everyone in this room will rejoice and be glad that we believed. Let strength and wholeness come into these men's bodies. Let minds be restored. I feel like three or four men, for some reason, you've had a hard time concentrating lately and just focusing, and I'm not sure why. Some, one, one of you feel like you've been working too much, you've got a lot going on, you just feel like you're not yourself. I feel like three others just feel like they can't concentrate. If that's you, man, just, just thank God right now for making things right and making things whole. Father, I thank you for a restoration of concentration and just focus. That not one heart would be distracted, that everybody could lock in. That no one would be disqualified from these things. Father, I pray for joints and, and bones and muscles to be strengthened in this room this morning. I pray that those of us that have more years on our body than others, and we've been alive, people that have been alive 20 years longer than me, God, people that could be my parent in here in this room, I pray for grace on their bodies. I pray that strength would come into their bones and joints, that that their heart wouldn't only be revitalized, but their bodies would be blessed by the Lord today. I ask you to touch them and invigorate them in a special way. Yep. I don't usually pray this stuff, guys, in a men's meeting. I just feel it in my heart. I feel like God wants to do it. I feel like He's doing it. I pray for marriages and wholeness and reconciliation in marriages. Man, I pray the ability to be restored as dads to our children and seen as caring, loving dads would be privileged to us, God, that You'd show us mercy where we feel like we failed with our children. Give us opportunity to set fresh examples. Give us the humility and the awareness to make things straight where we need to communicate. But God, give us grace in this room. We don't want to just go to church. We want to be here, Lord. Help us. We're willing. I ask this grace and I ask this blessing and favor on our lives to empower us more. All in Jesus' name. And I thank you for being a good, 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 good father. Yeah? Who was that with the concentration thing? Man, I was hearing it. It was a concentration thing. Yeah, I heard it was like three or four guys. Okay. Man, just receive that. I just feel like a restoration that you can concentrate so you're not pulled away from where your heart's crying out. So you can see where your heart's at and not get distracted. And I feel like that. I feel like God's fixing that for you men. I heard that specifically as a word of knowledge. And uh, that's neat. That, that tells me God is, He's aware of all of us and He wants to tweak things and make things right. Amen? Amen. Just a little, just a little bleep just came up and bam. And I know that's, 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 that's God. So uh, thank you. Anybody, you want to close? What are we doing? What are you, you want to sing something? What do you want to do? It's late, man. I... 
It's just one closing song. If you want to slip out because of time, because of the long-winded preacher, do it, man. If you can stay a little and hug a neck, stay. It's your call. We're officially ended. Do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. You getting something out of all this, buddy? So set a fire down in my soul. I can't contain that I can't control. I want more.